Like Mark said, my name's Sarah, and we're going to continue this series, He Said What? I can't do it the way that Mark and Don do it. My voice doesn't do that. They can talk higher than I can, which is embarrassing because I'm a girl, and I feel like I should be able to hit that note, but I can't. So I'm just going to call it He Said What? I'm sorry if that takes the fun out of this morning. Um, I'm a high school teacher, and so I have a couple of stories to tell you, and maybe it's surprising that high school students would say things that make you go... Really? Uh, but I thought before we got into that, we're, I'm going to show you a video. Mark has been showing you videos of the ridiculous things that Kanye has been saying. Um, today, we're going to look at John Travolta. Uh, maybe you remember seeing this happen. This was not that long ago. And after this took place, I think literally everyone said, what? Seriously, what did he just say? So watch this clip. That's not funny if you don't know what her name actually is. Her name is Idina Menzel. I don't know what he said. Adat Mazim. I mean, he's like speaking in a foreign language. I don't know what happens. I don't, it's bizarre. Like he said that and I thought, do I not know who sings this song? Like what is happening? Um, So that went viral pretty quickly because seriously, John Travolta, how embarrassing. Um, As I was thinking about the most ridiculous things that I've heard people say, uh, like I said, I teach high school. And um, I work mostly with uh, 10th graders. I work with 10th graders. I work with seniors. And so last year, uh, I had a boy in my class who um, consistently just made me stop and scratch my head. I've got lots and lots of stories about this kid. But one day he was in, I had him for Bible in the morning. And then in the afternoon, he was in a study hall that I had. And he was standing by my desk asking me a question and I'm like working on something. And as I look up, I see him pull a pair of scissors out of this cup that's on my desk and he just whips them across the room and gets them stuck in the wall. Okay. He's 16, right? He's not like a kindergartner who maybe doesn't know better. He's like a grown person. Okay. So there's lots of kids in my class. These scissors go like flying past this girl's face. She's like, what is happening? And I said, are you kidding me? Like what? I can't believe you just threw those scissors across my room. You could have killed somebody. And so I pull out this detention slip. And so I'm writing him a detention And as I'm doing this, he has this like posse of boys um, who all then surround my desk and are, they they keep saying things like, Miss Nipper, you are being so unreasonable right now. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm being unreasonable. You threw a pair of scissors across my desk and almost, or across my room and almost killed somebody and I'm being unreasonable. And they were like, I just can't believe that you would give him a detention. I was like in shock. I was laughing at them for being so ridiculous. Then a few weeks later, I was at a basketball game and I saw um, this boy and his mom. And I don't know her very well, but what I know of her is that she's like, she's like the rock of this family. She's very reasonable. She's like helped to point her boys in a good direction. And so I went over to talk to her and um, she said, uh, yeah, you know when you gave that detention to Austin? That was really very inconvenient for us because then we had to come back later after school and pick him up instead of letting him ride the shuttle home. And I was like, well, so many things make sense now. Like you think it's unreasonable that I gave your son, how inconvenient for you that you had to come get your son from detention after he almost killed a kid in my class. Yes, I'm so sorry for giving him a detention. So I have a lot of interactions with students and with parents that just make me stop and scratch my head and go, what are we talking about here? And if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you have seen that Jesus does the same thing, maybe not exactly the same, but Jesus says some things that make us stop and go, what is he saying? Like to really stop and think about it is astonishing. 
And so today we're going to look at a passage in the book of Matthew and we're going to be in chapter 5. So if you have a swamp Bible under your chair, it looks like this. Uh, We're going to be on page 732. If you have the other Bible, which is a little bit classier looking, I think, it's page 736. This section of scripture, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, is what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And... um, Basically, what Jesus does here is he lays out this kind of whole new guideline, this whole new set of guidelines, this whole new standard for living. And so um, as you study this, you see that there are different people who have kind of different opinions as to what exactly Jesus was trying to convey here. But on the whole, as followers of God, we believe that what Jesus is saying here is, if you're going to be my follower, your life has to look different. And so he makes some really shocking statements in here, and we could honestly spend months just studying these few chapters. Today we're going to look at just a couple of portions of the Sermon on the Mount and try to get at the heart of what Jesus is really saying. But we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 21 and 22. It says this, "'You have heard that the law of Moses says, "'Do not murder. "'If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment.'" But I say, if you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the high council. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Okay, this is a little bit ridiculous, in my opinion, as I read this, okay? Basically, what Jesus is saying here is, look, you've heard it said that you're not supposed to kill people. Don't murder. Now, we can all agree that that's a good idea. It's one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, if I'm being honest with you, it's one of the Ten Commandments that I feel the best about because some of the other Ten Commandments I look at and I go like, I'm not so good at that one. But murder, like, okay, I got that one, right? Like, I've never killed anybody. Uh, I can check that one off the list. Everything's great. And yet then Jesus enters the scene and he says to these people who are listening to him, you've heard it said that you're not supposed to kill people. And if you murder people, that then you're subject to judgment. Well, listen, I'm telling you that if you're angry with somebody, it's the same thing. If you call somebody an idiot, which I'm sure none of us have ever done. If you call somebody an idiot, that you're subject to judgment. If you curse someone that you are liable to end up in the fires of hell. Now, I've read these verses lots and lots of times, okay? We actually, the classes that I teach in high school, we study this portion of scripture together. And it's so easy for me to read these and go like, oh, okay, Jesus is saying that I should like not be so angry. And I just kind of gloss over it, but I just want us to stop this morning and take a minute to think about what he's really saying, I think, again, that we could all agree that murder is a horrific thing. Sometimes that's why I don't like to turn on the news because I feel like the news is just about like terrible things like murder and theft and this burned down and that burned down and somebody died and it's depressing. And when I watch those stories and when I hear these stories, I think like this is, it's horrible. How could anyone ever do that? How could anyone ever be so bold, be so broken as to want to take somebody else's life. I can't like wrap my head around that. It seems like something that is so like, that's so gross and that's so like, uh, that's not me. That's somebody else. That's like hardened criminals in prison. That's not me. But then Jesus says, I'm telling you, if you're angry with somebody, it's the same. That hits very close to home for me. 
And I can blame my anger on a lot of things, right? Like you try teaching 80 high school students all day long and you tell me how not angry you are, right? Like these kids, they make me feel crazy. I can blame it on lots of other things. You try to get off of 270 at 23 and 315 at 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? You try to do that and not get angry. I'm telling you, it's like impossible, okay? You try to do that without calling somebody an idiot. It's impossible. I can blame it on a lot of things. And yet Jesus says, when you get angry like that, it's the same as murder, And so that makes me like, it makes me take a step back and it makes me go, so what does this mean? What is Jesus trying to say? And what am I supposed to do about it? Our big idea for this morning is that what Jesus cares primarily about is your heart. And we've been talking about these bold statements that he makes and these things that he expects of us. And that as followers of Jesus, our behavior begins to change. And all of those things are true. But what we learn from this passage is that that behavior change has to start on the inside. And our posture before God begins to change our posture before people. That the way that I react to God and the things that I believe about God and the way that I relate to him changes the way that I relate to the people around me. We see this illustrated all throughout scripture and we're going to look at a few passages that show us that that's true. Um, Let's go ahead and turn actually to Matthew 23. We're going to come back to Matthew chapter 5 in a minute. Matthew 23 verses 25 to 28. It's page 751 in the Swamp Bible. 754 in the Classy Bible. <clears throat> when I think about um, like getting angry, I, c- I mean, I could tell you lots of stories about working with high school students and the anger that that draws out of me, unfortunately. Um, certainly, sometimes there are, there's reasons for justified anger, and we did a whole message on anger back in the fall, and if you're interested in it, you can find it on our website. Um, so we're not going to get into all of that, but what we're talking about now is, is that anger that like, when you look back on it, you go, oh, I probably shouldn't have been so short. I shouldn't have been so sharp. I sh- why did I get so worked up about that? When I think about that, I think about my freshman year of college. I lived with um, this girl that I knew kind of before we started school. Her name was Erin. She was a missionary kid from Argentina, and Aaron loves the morning like no person loves the morning, which um, is not me, if you know me at all, um, and some of my roommates are in the room, and they know that that's true. Um, I, like, don't speak to people in the morning. Like, I don't want to talk to you until I've had, like, half a pot of coffee, and that's not really a joke, okay? Like, I don't talk to people in the morning. It's not my thing. But Aaron, like, as soon as her eyes were open, she was, like, ready to go. So she would wake up, we would both be laying in our beds, we had our first class together um, all first semester, and so she would be awake, way before I want to be awake, and she would say, hey, Sarah, do you know if it's cold outside? And I was like, Erin, I'm, literally I am laying in my bed, like how in the world could I possibly, and this was before iPhones, I don't know if you remember that time, but like, so we didn't have like the weather like right next to us at all times, Okay. I said, how, how the heck am I supposed to know if it's cold outside? I don't know if it's cold outside. Open the window. I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, my mom always knew if it was cold outside. I'm like, I'm not your mom, right? Like, I'm like unreasonably angry with this poor girl who just, she just wants to know if it's cold outside. One time I woke up and she was already awake and she was reading our biology textbook. 
I don't know why. And I, I I like roll over and she's like, Sarah, listen to this. Let me tell you what I just read about the way that cells interact with each other. And I'm like, Aaron, it's not even seven in the morning. I don't care, right? And I like roll back over. For some reason, I find that in the morning when I'm still only like half awake, everything is making me like unreasonably angry. Like I'm just like, why would she speak to me? You know, like it's not Aaron's fault. And yet I'm like, all of this anger is like drawn out of this really ugly part of my heart. And Jesus talks about this as he talks to, he's talking to some religious people in um, Matthew chapter 23, these people called the Pharisees. And in chapter 23, verse 25, he says this, how terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence, blind Pharisees. First wash the inside of the cup, and then the outside will become clean too. How terrible it will be for you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. Hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. You try to look like upright people outwardly, but inside your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What was happening is that these religious people... They seem to understand, kind of like we started with, as Jesus was saying, like, you've heard it said, don't murder people, that murder is a bad thing, that you'll be judged if you behave that way. And these religious people, they understood that. They understood, okay, my outward actions are important. And so what they were doing is that they were trying to clean their lives up. They were trying to look a certain way. They were trying to keep themselves in order. Okay, so I keep the Ten Commandments. I don't take the Lord's name in vain. I honor my parents. I don't kill people. I don't practice um, adultery. I don't do all of these things. Okay, I'm good. I'm all clean on the outside. But Jesus says, that doesn't matter if your hearts are still dirty. It doesn't matter if you're all clean on on the outside, but on the inside, you still have this heart that, for example, is so full of anger. And maybe you don't flip out. Maybe you're not like flipping the bird out the window as you're driving down 270, right? Like maybe you keep it together. But on the inside, you're just like so full of dirtiness. You're so full of anger. Your thoughts are so wicked. Jesus says the outside doesn't matter if the inside is dirty. One summer, I worked with this high school kid. He, um, we, had, we were spending the whole summer together doing this ministry trip. So we were together for seven weeks, um, this whole group of us living on a bus. It's very glamorous. And so he had one of those Camelback book bags, you know, that you can like put water in that he was like drinking out of um, the whole summer. And, and so everyone, he was just always like sucking on this straw. He's always drinking this water. We're probably like six weeks in. And one day he like took the... I think it's called a bladder, which is really gross, but he took the bladder out. I don't know. And um, when he opened it up, it was full of mold on the inside. Um, And he had been drinking out of this like thing, bladder, full of water. And the water didn't taste bad to him and it didn't look unclean. He had been drinking this moldy water like for weeks, right? It looked okay, but once we got to the inside, he was like, oh, shoot, I probably shouldn't be drinking out of this. We're like, yeah, probably not. That's disgusting. When you know that the inside is dirty, it doesn't matter how clean that water looks or how good it tastes. I ain't drinking that. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. 
He says, look, it, it doesn't matter how clean the outside looks. It doesn't matter how well you keep it together. And on Sunday mornings especially, I think we're really good at that, right? We show up and how are you doing? I'm great. Yeah, I'm good. I'm so good. And we let people see this like really neat, clean part of us. And Jesus says, if the outside is clean, but the inside is dirty, it doesn't matter. You don't want to drink out of that cup. He goes on to say, you're like whitewashed tombs. You have painted the outside of these tombs to be beautiful, but inwardly you're full of dead bones. You look great on the outside, but inside you're dead. Because it's not the outside that saves us, it's what inside of us, it's what's inside that really matters. Jesus cares primarily about our hearts. Jesus doesn't want you murdering people, but he also wants to get at the root of that. Where does that come from? The root is anger. And most of us are really good at controlling our actions, but we're not so good at letting our hearts be changed. Even these religious people, Jesus says, you're missing the point. What does it look like when our hearts change? And how do we begin treating people? Jesus he addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. So back in the chapter that we started in. So flip back to, to Matthew chapter five. I want you to see what does he say our behavior should look like. So if I'm cleaning the mold out of that camelback book bag, if I'm letting him get to the root of the problem, what happens? How does it change the way that I interact with people? In Matthew chapter five, um, we're in verse 38. Page 733 in the Swamp Bible. You have heard that the law of Moses says, if an eye is injured, injure the eye of the person who did it. If a tooth gets knocked out, knock out the tooth of the person who did it. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If you're slapped on the right cheek, turn the other one too. If you're ordered to court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who borrow. You've heard it said that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. When my heart is changed, when I allow Jesus to get to the inside of me, when I allow him to get to the root of the problem, when I stop trying to just modify my behavior and put enough rules in my life that I look good on the outside, when I allow him to really get to the root, it changes everything about the way that I interact with people. And again, these are verses that we read. I'm sure they're not new information to you. You're like, I had no idea that Jesus said we should love people, right? You're not, your mind's not blown by this. And yet we read that and we think like, yeah, okay. But to think about what that really means. If somebody slaps you on the face, don't retaliate. Turn the other cheek. If someone wants to take something from you, say, oh, are you cold? You need my coat? Let me give you two coats so you don't have to steal from somebody else. If a soldier demanded you to take his gear and carry it for a mile, say, oh, sir, could I do this for you for two miles? I mean, that like grates at everything inside of me, okay? Because I have rights, people, and this is unjust. And you cannot boss me around like this, right? 
I'm not going to do that. No, thank you. And yet when my posture before God begins to change, when I begin to understand that I don't deserve any of the good stuff that I have, I don't deserve the life that I have, I don't deserve the gifts that I have, I don't deserve the people that are around me, the job that I have, I don't deserve the salvation that God has given me. When I begin to understand that everything that's in my life is a gift from him, it changes the way that I interact with people. Because it's not mine and I have to defend it. It's, It's a gift given to me. And so if someone else needs it, well, why should I not share? And even if someone comes at me with the wrong attitude, and that's what makes me so mad, right? Like if they would have just asked politely, I would have given it to them. But when they demand from me, well, then no, I don't want to do it. But then again, I think about the way that I come to God. And how often do I come to God and and I make these demands of him and I don't really understand how great he is and how small I am and how I don't deserve anything. And God doesn't sit in heaven and go, when you get your attitude right, Sarah, then I'll give it to you. Thank God he doesn't do that or I would be in trouble. He gives to me graciously even when I don't deserve it. He gives to me graciously even when I think I do deserve it and I'm demanding things of him. He gives to me graciously. And when I begin to understand that, it changes the way that I interact with the people around us. And so I read this and I start to think about this and I think like, I want to be that guy, right? Like I don't want to be the guy who's angry. I don't want to be the guy who's frustrated all the time. I don't want to be the person who is like, well, you know, God's grace is pretty good, but I'm not going to offer it to any of you people. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the person who willingly gives. This is my dad. When I think about this kind of person, it is my dad. He is, and I know it's Mother's Day, so I should talk about my mom. My mom is also wonderful. When I think about my dad, though, my, it wouldn't matter how you came to him or what you asked from him. He would give it to you and he would give it to you with, with such grace. And sometimes people say like, well, yeah, but doesn't your dad get taken advantage of? Yeah, sometimes he does. But people know that my dad loves them. Even, even in the midst of being taken advantage of, he still continues to love them because he's able to look at them and go, sir, I don't know. I don't know their story. I don't know what's going on in their hearts and going on in their lives. And so if they need something and I can give it to them, why would I not do that? If that's going to help them experience God's love in a new way, if that's going to help them understand something more about how God loves them, if I can be that extension to them, why would I not want to do that? My dad doesn't demand things. He doesn't demand his rights. He simply gives to other people. It's so beautiful, and I want to be more like that. So how do we get there? It would be a bummer if this is where we ended it. Like, okay, stop being so angry and uh, figure it out on your own. I don't know, good luck, right? Maybe don't drive on 270 anymore. I think that's the root of a lot of my problems. How do we get there? We're gonna jump around to several different verses and so you can follow along with me if you want. You can just listen as I read. We're gonna look first at Romans 12 too. As I think about this, really the, um, it makes me think of in, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus had said, He asked this man, what's the greatest commandment? 
And the man responds and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so really I think that this issue boils down to this, that if I begin to understand how to love God with my heart and with my mind, it then changes the way that I interact with people. So look at Romans 12, verse 2, page 875 in the Swamp Bible, 866 in the Classy Bible. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Colossians 3 talks about a similar thing. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 is page 917 in the Swamp Bible, 903 in the other Bible. Since then you have been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things here on earth. And then on the very next page, Colossians three fifteen and 16. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. As I study scripture and try to understand, okay, so how do I let Jesus get to the heart of the matter? Over and over and over again, and these three verses are just a sampling of it, the issue is you have to start to change the way that you think. My life is renewed when I let Jesus get to my mind. When I begin to change the things that I focus on, when I let the peace of Christ dwell inside of me, when I let the word of Christ dwell in my mind, that that begins to change the way that I act. Now, you all know that this is true because whatever you're spending the most time thinking about begins to be the lenses that you see the rest of the world through. Um, When I think about this, I think of my junior year in college. I was a math major in college and I was taking way too many math classes in one semester. And I remember... This maybe will not make sense to you, but I remember everything that I interacted with started to look like a math equation to me, um, which maybe you think is tragically sad, and I guess it is a little bit, but like everywhere that we went, we would be in the cafeteria and I would be looking at food and I would be thinking about like, so taking this food plus this food and putting it into my body is going to result in, is going to equal this sort of energy and this sort of result, like everything was turning into a math equation in my life, right? Depressing, I know, don't study math in college. So... This is what started to happen. Everything in my world, I was seeing through the lens of mathematics. Uh, My college roommate one time told me that she was playing so much Dr. Mario that everything was starting to look like those little pills, um, which is, you know, maybe an example that you can relate to. I don't know. You play so many video games, everything starts to look like the video game. Whatever I fill my mind with becomes the lens that I see the whole world through. And so if I fill my mind with scripture... And if I begin to fill my mind with an understanding of who God is, it changes the way that I see the world. When I fill my mind with crap from the world, if the only thing that's speaking into my mind is what the television has to say or what this book has to say, 
what 270 is telling me, right? If that's the only thing that's speaking into me, it, it, that's the lens that I look at the world. And so anger is okay because listen, American, you have rights and don't let people take your rights away from you. You have the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And when someone infringes on that, you should fight for it. And yet part of what we see Jesus says is, listen, if you're going to follow me, when someone offends you, you let it go. When someone takes from you, you give them more. This is so countercultural. And if all I'm doing is letting the world fill my mind, I'm never going to be able to wrap my heart around it. But when I let God's word fill my mind, it changes the way that I interact with people. So what do we do? How do we get here? Maybe this begins to feel a little bit overwhelming. So do I have to memorize the whole Bible for me to really be able to get my head around this? What's so beautiful is that God does so much of the heavy lifting. Part of um, what happened when Jesus died is that he gave us the Holy Spirit And so anyone who believes in Jesus, anyone who trusts in Jesus, the Holy Spirit now comes and lives inside of you. This is something that I I don't think enough about. That God himself indwells me. And so when I look at a situation and I go, how in the world am I supposed to see this from the right perspective? I'm reminded that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me that the Holy Spirit wants to change the way that I think and that the Holy Spirit wants to change the way that I interact with people, that the Holy Spirit wants to lead me and to guide me. And we see that Jesus talks about that in John 16 and that it's recorded for us in Hebrews 8, that the Holy Spirit is here to lead you and to guide you into the way that you're supposed to live. So how do we get to this place? How are we able to stop being so angry? How are we able to interact with people in the way that we should? How are we able to change our posture before people? This is going to sound so Sunday school, and I apologize. But sometimes I think that the reason we have Sunday school answers is because they're true and they make sense. From what we've seen in scripture, we got to begin to fill our minds with things that honor the Lord. And so you need to spend time in the word and you need to spend time in prayer and you need to spend time with other people who can point you to truth. Because as those things become the things that I fill my mind with and that I surround myself with, I begin to have a better appreciation of who God is and what he wants from me. And as I know God better, it changes the way that I interact with the people around me. So as we walk out of here this morning, and as we think about what do we do, how do I stop murdering people in my heart, so to speak? I would encourage you to think individually, okay, so what can I do today and tomorrow and through the rest of this week? How can I begin to reorient my mind so that I'm more focused on who God is Do you need to spend more time in the word? Do you need to pick up a Bible and ask for help figuring out a reading plan? People at Next Steps want to help you with that. Let us help you learn how to read God's word. Do you need to be better at spending time in prayer? I struggle with this one. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that from the stage. I do. It's hard for me to know how do I like get a really good rhythm in my prayer life and I want to be better at that. And so I'll be real with you. This week, that's what it is for me. 
I need to find more silence in my week and just spend time with Jesus and speak to him and let him speak to me. Maybe you look at your life and you go, I don't have the right kind of people speaking truth to me. I don't have the right kind of people who are loving on me and investing in me and who are reminding me what really matters. We have movement groups. I think that's a great place to get connected. If that's not where you're at yet, will you just come and talk to me or to Mark or to one of these people that you see around here? We would love to find ways to connect you with even one or two others who can love you and encourage you and point you to truth. The outside doesn't matter if the inside hasn't changed. We want our insides to begin to change, to become more and more like the men and women that Jesus has made us to be. That's why he came. That's what these crazy statements are all about. So what do you need to do this week? Do you need to reorganize the way that you spend time in the word? Do you need to think more deeply about how you're spending time in prayer? Do you need to reconnect with people who can point you to Jesus? I would encourage you to to pick one of those three and to make that your thing this week. To let your hearts begin to change. And I, I can guarantee that as your heart changes, you will be shocked at the way, that the, the way that you interact with the world changes as well. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for these ridiculous statements that you make. The things that you say that make us stop and say, what is going on? Jesus, thanks that you... Um, Thanks that you care so much about our hearts and that you don't just want to fix our behavior and that you don't, um, you don't just want us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and work a little bit harder and try a little bit harder and that you're just sitting in heaven with lightning bolts waiting to strike us down when we get it wrong. God, thanks that that's not you. Thank you that you care about our hearts and that you care so much about our hearts that you came and died for us and have now given us the Holy Spirit to help us because you know that we can't do it on our own. Jesus, I pray that we would be people who really care about the inside. And I pray that for each one of us, you would help us to, um, to find what that thing is this week that we need to work on, that thing that we can just uh, give to you, that we can start to reorient our minds, that our hearts will change, and that as we see our hearts change before you, it changes the way that we interact with the people around us. God, thanks for the good things that you're doing here. Thanks for the way that you're making us more and more into the men and women that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.